multiple hearts for being injured twice by enemy fire, and the second highest award in the Air Force, which is the Air Force Cross. Um, these pale in comparison, and John will tell you this, to being a citation of a disciple of Jesus. And I'm glad God used this to bring him here. Um, and we commend your service, but we more importantly commend your service to the Lord, which is, we're very grateful for that, John. Thank you. Um, Karen, can you hand me my, my, my little clicker there? I'm sorry. I want to talk about uh, a person in the Bible. His name is Stephen. We have, a lot, we have Steve here, Stephen, Stephen Jr. But this Stephen's in the Bible. And this Stephen is a, quite an interesting guy. Um, this lesson's entitled, The Servant Who Was Devoted to Jesus. Uh, the word that's used for servant in the Bible is a word called diakonos which is uh, one who serves uh, menial tasks. And in one sense or the other, we're all called to be servants, diakonos. But in this situation with Stephen, he's kind of highlighted in the book of Acts for not only his service, but something a little bit more. Let me give you some uh, qualities of a deacon. These are some of the qualities that the Bible talks about. I, I gave you what the qualities are and what the qualities are not. So you have an understanding of both. Uh, the Bible says a deacon needs to be worthy of respect. Now, a deacon is, is one, an office in the church that is one just below the elder. So, for one to become the elder, the, 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 usually the process is that he qualifies as a deacon, and then he qualifies as an elder, because the qualities are quite similar. Um, worthy of respect. Uh, the opposite of that is one who complains a lot. Uh, sincere. The opposite is fake. He's guarded protects himself. Um, not overindulgent in wine, addiction to wine, not pursuing dishonest gain, greedy, holds to deep truths of the faith, shallow Bible knowledge, must be tested, young in faith, manage his family well, children are disrespectful. These are some of the qualities of a diakonos, a deacon in the church. Look in your Bibles in Acts chapter 6. And we will look at, this, look at Stephen in a closer context to understand his heart, his life, and who he was. In Acts chapter 6, it reads, In those days when the number of the disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Down in verse 6, they presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of, uh, full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called the Sanhedrin. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of uh, Cilicia and Asia, who began to urge with, uh, argue with Stephen. 
but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit had given him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like a face of an angel. You know, there's a writing on a, on a medieval castle that says this, You call me master, and obey me not. You call me light, and see me not. You call me the way, and walk me not. You call me life, and desire me not. You call me wise, and follow me not. You call me fair, and love me not. You call me rich, and ask me not. You call me eternal, and seek me not. You call me gracious, and trust me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. You know, these words cannot be said about Stephen, as we're going to see. He was someone who was truly devoted to Jesus. If you look in your uh, Bible in verse 5, we see that Stephen uh, was a man that was full of something. Now, a lot of guys are full of it, but he was full of something special. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was spirit-filled. And when you're spirit-filled, the evil cannot stand up against you. Falsehood cannot stand up against you. Full of the Spirit, having the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. What are some of those? Love, peace, joy, self-control. He's not edgy. Attitudes are good. Didn't try to hide an attitude by serving people. You know, a lot of times we do that. We... We hide attitudes. We serve the church, but underneath there's a, there's a roaring, brewing storm. Not so with Stephen, because he was full of the spirits. All those things were taken out. He was also a stable man. A spirit-filled man is someone who's stable. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? He doesn't have these, these radical, over-emotional reactions. He's stable. Yeah, he has bad days, but he doesn't climb or, or fall over the cliff so to speak. He had a faith that he believed that something, and that something was his, his Lord, and, Lord and Savior Jesus. He believed in Jesus so much that Stephen, as you're going to see, was willing to die for his beliefs. You know, it was a test of faith. Whenever you want to be a spirit-filled man, you will be tested in your faith. It is a high calling. You know, in our church, we do not have a deacon. And the reason we don't have, have one is because we don't want to lower the standard just to make a deacon. The deacons rise up to the challenge. You know, we don't want to fill positions just for the sake of filling these positions. These are sacred roles. And as you see the qualities, it's a little bit of a challenge. It needs a well-balanced life. You know, spiritual, financial, family life. It's all there. Your relationship with God. Holding, one, of the, one of the key components of an elder is to combat apostasy. 
is to combat false do- is to combat false doctrine that creeps into the church. So a deacon, rightly so, should have somewhat of a good Bible knowledge. An elder should have great Bible knowledge to defend the church from heresy. You know, as a test of faith, there's a story. I'm alluding to a joke, church, just so you know from last week. I want to prepare you. Last week you didn't get my first joke and it shocked you. It was called the Jewish Samurai. There was once a powerful Japanese emperor who needed a new chief samurai. So he sent out a declaration throughout the entire known world that he was searching for a chief. A year passed and only three people applied for the demanding position. A Japanese samurai, a Chinese samurai, and a Jewish samurai. The emperor asked the Japanese samurai to come in and demonstrate why he should be the chief samurai. The Japanese samurai opened a matchbox and out popped a bumblebee. Whoosh! Went his sword. The bumblebee dropped dead, chopped in half. The emperor explained, this is very impressive. The emperor then issued the same challenge to the Chinese samurai to come in and demonstrate why he should be chosen. The Chinese samurai also opened up a middle matchbox and out buzzed a fly. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. The fly dropped dead, chopped into four small pieces. The emperor exclaimed, this is very impressive. Now the emperor turned to the Jewish samurai and asked him to demonstrate why he should be the chief samurai. The Jewish samurai opened a matchbox and out flew a gnat. His flashing sword went whoosh, but the gnat was still alive and flying around. The emperor, obviously disappointed, said, very ambitious, but why is that gnat not dead? The Jewish samurai just smiled and said, circumcision is not meant to kill. How faithful are you? You know, Stephen had a lot of gifts, had a lot of faith. The Bible describes him as a man full of faith. Think about that. A man full of faith. That when, 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 when disaster strikes, he's, he understands the disaster. He's not, he's not like mentally ill where he's, he's not, not dealing with reality. No. He deals with reality, but he has a faithful perspective of the reality. He knows that God is with you during tragedy. God is with you during, during the hard times. He is actually experiencing those times with you. A man full of faith. The divine power of God was upon Stephen, but not to exalt him, but to exalt Jesus. And it was, used, and it was to be used in bringing people to Jesus. This is what, who Stephen was about. A man full of faith. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. He was active in his faith. He didn't just sit back and have this intellectual Christian faith that he sat back and did nothing. He did something with his faith. He was out among the people proving the, the, the why Jesus is the Messiah and how, how that the law could no longer save you, but Jesus could save you. That was the conflict that he was facing. And then he speaks something, something amazing. He says something like this, great wonders and signs. His, his speech, it, it is one of the first recorded New Testament speeches or sermons that gives you a synopsis, a history of, of why Jesus is the Messiah. And if you read through that on your quiet time, look at this, this guy, this, this table waiter, this, 
this servant, this, he does the menial things for the church, but yet he has this incredible knowledge of the history of God's people to prove the Messiah. If someone were to ask you, hey, close your Bible, tell me why Jesus is the Messiah. From the old to the new, could you do it? This is what Stephen did. He had no scriptures. He was just doing it off his heart from his previous study of the scriptures. He was teaching people why Jesus is the true Messiah. That's what he did. So what happens here in, in Acts 7, um, they accuse him, of course, falsely, and they ask him, are these charges true? And then he says, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia. And then he goes on and on about the history, about the forefathers, his knowledge of the Bible. He was just a little diaconos, little servant, waited tables, but yet his relationship with God is what made him the man he was. You know, a lot of us, we have different roles in the church, and we focus sometimes more on that than our own relationship with God. And you fall into a terrible trap where you become more, more concerned about the role than about your role as a son. Stephen was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. You know, his sermon had a lot of content, a lot of biblical meat. You know, there's a story about an old American Indian who attended a church service one Sunday morning. The preacher's message lacked real spiritual food. So he did a lot of shouting and pulpit pounding to cover up for his lack of preparation. In fact, as it sometimes said, he preached up quite a storm. After the service, someone asked the Indian, who was, who was a Christian, what he thought of the minister's message. Thinking for a moment, he summed up his opinion in six words. High wind, big thunder, no rain. And this, yes, when the scriptures are neglected, there is no rain. Only when preaching is based off God's word are his people blessed and refreshed. How often do you share the Bible with one another? You know, it's great to have great discussions and talks, but how often do we share the scriptures? Not necessarily to always, always correct someone, but to refresh someone, to encourage someone. When someone has a death in the family, you know, a lot of times we, we, want, we want to think of these creative words to how to express, you know, sometimes the scriptures can express our hearts for us. Expressing God's word to each other is healthy and spiritual and right. And we should be doing a lot of it, especially in the holidays, because there's a real reason why we're doing it. The other thing Stephen had in his sermon, it was a lot of courage. There was a lot of courage in his sermon. He was very bold. After this lesson in verse 51, look what he says to the, to the, to the men and women. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are, are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? What boldness. What courage. Say, listen. You know, you can't be corrected. You're just like your ancestors. The prophets try to correct them and steer them back to God, and they refuse correction. Why do you refuse me now? That's what he's saying. Courage and boldness. You know, there was a woman and her husband, this is another joke, interrupted their vacation to go in, into a dentist office. I want a tooth pulled, and I don't want any painkillers because I'm in a big hurry, said the woman. 
just extract the tooth as quickly as possible and we'll be on our way. The dentist was, the dentist was quite impressed. You're certainly a courageous woman, he said. Which tooth is it? The woman turned to her husband and said, show him, dear. We need real courage to stand up for the truth. Stand, especially in this holiday when everyone's like, all roads lead to heaven. It's the holiday season. Let's not, let's not correct anyone in the way they walk with the Lord. This is the best time to do it. Everyone's thinking about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. And sometimes these are, the, these are the doors that open up for us when otherwise they would not be open. Christmas time brings a great doors of you entering someone's life. You being a, a, a gift giver and also giving them the gift of salvation. There's so much opportunity in the Christmas holidays. You know, when the, when the people that heard this sermon, the response was this. In verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were so encouraged by Stephen. No, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. Verse 57, as at this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. You know, something that the Bible does, it reveals your insides. You may, you may have the outside covered and looking good, but God's word reveals the inside. You know when you hear a sermon and it pricks you and sometimes it makes you a little bit angry? It's like, whoa, whoa, where's he going with this? What's he doing? Is he calling me out? No, it's the Holy Spirit calling you and everybody else out. You know, when I came to church, I was like, man, is he talking about me? What's going on in here? I'm just a visitor. It was the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us who come to church for the first time, you think, you think I'm talking about you, but I'm not. It's the Holy Spirit talking to you. What I mean is this. Some people, like in the scriptures here, even in our own fellowship, they just don't like correction. They'll be your friends until you challenge them. But the Bible says just the opposite. That's, that's the worldly friendship. When you're challenged, you get offended. The Bible says wounds from a friend or a brother can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy doesn't tell you the truth. An enemy tells you you're doing fine even though you're walking toward the cliff. Oh, you're, you're fine. And these men here, they didn't like correction. The proud and the arrogant, mocker is their name. They behave with insolent fury, just like those men in the passage. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But woe to you if you have an enemy who multiplies kisses and tells you nothing. You know, if you haven't been corrected this year in your walk with God, you've got to ask yourself, who are you surrounding yourself with? Or if you've been corrected, how have you responded to the correction? Because the Bible says this about those who respond to correction. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. A mocker is someone that doesn't like correction. You can get that part out. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Why is that? Why do you rebuke the wise, and they love you, but if you rebuke the mocker, and they'll hate you? Why is that? Because one wants to change, and the other doesn't. 
That is the difference. One desires change and understands that if I don't change, I, I'm going to limit myself from getting into heaven. I must change. The other says, hey, I'm doing just fine. You don't need to point these things out to me. Lamont, these men, how do you respond when you're corrected? Is it quiet resentment? Begin to ask yourself, the timing wasn't right. The way he was approached, he looked like he had, he had an attitude. And then you begin to look out for what their sins might be in their life. You start watching them now that they challenge you. Now I'm going to watch you, brother. I'm going to watch you now. Yeah. Correction goes both ways. It certainly does. But that's a, that's a twisted heart. That's the mocker. Oh, I'll change, and then I'm going to look for you, and then I'm going to make sure you change. That's someone who doesn't understand correction. I was like that when I was a young Christian. Even as an old Christian, I'm going, hey, I don't like that correction. Let's look at your life, you know. You can go there. I can go there going, hmm. Be careful. The sword swings both ways, brother. I think that sometimes. Young, old, medium Christian, these things cross through our mind. Stephen, diakonos. Look at what Stephen saw in the stoning when he's being killed. Look what he saw. This is what Stephen saw as he's being stoned. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is what he saw while being stoned. Someone has, has said, Stephen's outlook may have been bad, but his uplook was glorious. He saw, he was in a terrible situation, but he saw God in his terror. Sometimes it takes a dark outlook to make us interested in looking up. That's why people pray when they're in trouble. It's, an, it's, it's a human tendency. When we're really in trouble, we pray. You remember Isaiah? In the year of King Uzziah died, it was, a, it, was a very, it was a year of turmoil for God's people. And Isaiah, in chapter 6, verse 1, says, I see the Lord high and lifted up. You know, sometimes when we have tragedy or terrible situations in our life, it's an opportunity to look up, not down and get into ourselves and get self-focused. Look at what Stephen said during the stoning. That's what he saw. Look at what he said. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Jesus. When he had said this, he fell asleep. What did God do for Stephen? Asked a scoffer. He gave him the power to pray for those who stoned him. How forgiving are you when people treat you wrong? As a disciple, it should be this heart. Don't hold this against them. They're not a Christian. A lot of times, i got to say it to myself, he, he's not even a disciple. He's acting crazy. And that's what crazy people do who aren't Christians. They hurt people. That's, how, that's their mode of life. They just hurt people and hurt people and hurt people. So in order for me not to be affected and totally discouraged, I have to understand that these people are, are so far from God. And have mercy on them, God. Help them 
to become Christians. The guy that stole our car stereo last month. We pray that God would make him a Christian so he doesn't steal anyone's stereo anymore. It's been discouraging because we can't listen to any Christmas songs right now on our, on our, on our long drive. We sing Christmas carols or songs in the car. Now we're having to do the license plate game, which just gets boring after half an hour. We usually like the songs. It carries the day. It makes the, makes the drive sweet. You know, only Jesus can give you the power to forgive people. It doesn't come from your, your, your humanistic awesomeness. It doesn't because that wears thin. And then you start disliking people. Because when you start disliking people and you're slow to forgive, it's because you're doing it out of a humanistic way. You're doing it because it's right. And there's not the power of Jesus inside you that says, hey, seven times times 77. That's the power of forgiveness. And I find myself sometimes, you know, when, I, when I'm going, man, this brother, hey, I, I'm lacking the power of Jesus in my life. It's not hitting me. Because how many times do I go to God with my sin, the same sin, struggling every year? Da, da, da. I mean, God has the same heart toward me. And we have, should have the same heart toward others. That's what keeps us humble. Look at what Stephen sowed. He saw, he said, and he sowed this. Look what he sowed. This is interesting. And cast him out of the city... And they stoned him. They drug him out and they, they stoned him to death. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. It has been said if Stephen hadn't prayed in his dying, Paul wouldn't have preached. That's what one theologian accounts. I think that Stephen's death impacted Paul. I think there was something that happened when Paul was watching his death, that it was a seed of something. Now, Paul didn't become a Christian after the stoning, but there was something there. Because in Acts 20, look what Paul says. He recalls his conversion story, and look who he mentions. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. He could never get over the experience of Stephen being stoned. And what he saw in Stephen, it affected him deeply. A man responding with grace in the face of persecution. And I believe it gave, it gave, I believe personally, it gave Paul the strength to survive two stonings, beatings, shipwrecks, and still preach the word. He, Stephen was the very first martyr. The very first. You know, martyr is a word for witness. And Saul was the witness of Stephen being killed. And it affected him. Stephen stood courageously as they stoned him. And maybe, perhaps, Paul heard the words that Stephen was recounting. Maybe he also heard these words in Paul's heart of Jesus. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Maybe it was foretelling the words of Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. I'm going to give you a challenge for the holidays. This is my challenge to the church. Let the world see you differently this holiday. Let them see one who has self-control. 
the wine and alcohol consumption during the holidays is at an all-time high. Be self-controlled. Be full of the Spirit, not the wrong Spirit. Get out of yourself because you're full of the Spirit, not because of the Spirit's. Be different. Be bold and be courageous during the holiday season. This is an opportunity once a year we get. The doors fly open for a moment. And people are interested in who Jesus is. This is our moment. This is our time. Make the most of every opportunity. And God bless you. And God be the glory. Thank you very much.